day number 12 of the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast, and we are going to just jump straight in today in our Old Testament reading. As always, I'll be reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. So, so Isaac moved away to the Gerur Valley, where he set up their tents and settled down. If you'll remember, I'll pause here. I know, we're one verse in and I'm already pausing. Uh, But if you'll remember in our reading yesterday, we saw that Isaac was asked to leave the area because he had grown too powerful. So the Philistines said, Isaac, you need to go uh, because everything you're doing is being blessed greatly and it's kind of freaking us out that you're gaining so much power. So Isaac leaves and this is where we find our story today. Verse 18. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the names Abraham had given them. Isaac's servants also dug in the Gerur Valley and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds came from Gerur, came and claimed this spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Essek, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitanah, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Reheboth, which means open space. For he said, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. From there Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of your father Abraham, he said. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will multiply your descendants, and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place, and his servants dug another well. Now, I love the picture we have here of Isaac and his faith in God. He understands that God is doing it, but at the same time we see his effort uh, grace is opposed to earning. So, like, I, uh, I understand that when God blesses me, the way he's blessed me in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I did nothing to earn that. I cannot be good enough for the gospel. It's complete grace. But there is an effort into becoming more like God, um, more like Jesus, that is, uh, which is God. Same thing. Becoming more godly, we'll say, that, say it that way. Uh, I have to put forth effort, but I do so grace-based. I'm not earning it. It's because I've been given grace that I can put forth effort. So we see that uh, when Isaac is digging the wells, he has to keep moving on. He can't find the right one, and he keeps moving and keeps moving and he keeps digging. Uh, And then after he finally finds a place, he doesn't say, look, we've worked hard and we've done it. He says, the Lord has created space. So there's this this yin and this yang to Christianity uh, and to following Jesus. You have to trust in Jesus and actually put forth effort. Uh, And then at the end of it, you say, wow, isn't God good? Because God showed you the pathway. So when we see somebody who has a beautiful marriage, a godly marriage where they've been together for 60 years and they love one another and they love the Lord, and we say, man, that's awesome. The Lord has really blessed you. He has blessed them. He has shown them the way. He's given them the grace. He's given them the faith to be able to do it. But they had to stick it out. And if you want that marriage, you can have that marriage. The path is very clear. It's common sense. You're going to have to put forth effort, though. So I, I just love this tension that we have here of God doing it, yes, and God's grace, yes, but there's also there's an effort to things. Verse 26. One day, Kim Elbeck came from Gur with his advisor, Ehezumph, and also Fickle, his army commander. Why have you come here? Isaac asked. You obviously hate me, since you kicked me out of your land. They replied, We can plainly see that the Lord is with you. 
So we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Let's make a covenant. <laughs> I love that. They're like, yeah, hey, you know that Isaac guy? Uh, maybe we shouldn't have kicked him out uh, because God was clearly on his side, and I would really hate to have to go against that God. So they come to Isaac, and they make a covenant. Verse 29, swear that you will not harm us, just as we have never troubled you. We have always treated you well, and we sent you away from us in peace. And now look how the Lord has blessed you. So Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty, and they ate and drank together. Early the next morning, they each took a solemn oath not to interfere with each other. Then Isaac sent them home again, and they left him in peace. That very day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a new well they had dug. We found water, they exclaimed. So Isaac named the well Sheba, which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up there is called Beersheba, which means a well of oath. At the age of 40, Esau married two Hittite wives, Judith and the daughter of Biri, and Basim, the daughter of Elon. But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Chapter 27, verse 1. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows. Go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessings that belong to you, my firstborn son, before I die. Now let's pause. If you'll remember, Esau, when he was starving, put that in quotation marks, uh, he traded his birthright to his younger brother for a bowl of stew. And remember I said uh, that Esau did that probably because he wasn't very concerned. And you can see that here. So even though he'd given that away, ultimately it was Isaac to give the birthright away. And so he tells Esau, go hunt, and then when you bring me what I like, come back, and I will give the blessings to you. Esau didn't have any really reason to worry, uh, or so he thought. Verse 5, but Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau had left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, Then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. And got the younger goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal, just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now set up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. This voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. 
But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, Now, my son, bring me the wild game and let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the riches of earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants. May they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. Right there, verses 28 and 29, is Isaac giving Jacob the blessing that was supposed to be Esau's, but Jacob had tricked him. Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it, and I've blessed him just before you came, and yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You will live away from the richness of earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Verse 41. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah heard about Esau's plans, so she sent for Jacob and told him, Listen, Esau is controlling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you have done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick and tired of these Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. And that concludes our Old Testament reading of the day. Now, as you read Genesis, it can begin to make you wonder, who is the hero of Genesis? Which one of these characters is a good guy? And the answer is none of them. Uh, I remember hearing a story of a guy who's just beginning to read the Bible, and he had read through Genesis and said, you know, I really don't think that I care for any of these characters. Like, I, I thought the Bible was supposed to be full of good moral examples for me. And um, 
the pastor speaking to him very wisely said, that's exactly what you're supposed to see. Uh, the Bible is really, in one sense, a line of people who could not do what Jesus ultimately did. They're people, like you and I, sinful, liars, murderers, adulterers. We'll see that as we read throughout the Old Testament. And as you read throughout the Old Testament, you wonder who is going to be that Savior. God makes the promise several times. And initially, he makes the promise in Genesis chapter 3 when the whole thing falls apart. He says that one day there will be the offspring of a woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And we wonder and we wonder and we wonder until we get to the New Testament of Jesus. He is the only example. And what we realize is humans cannot save themselves. You, my friend, cannot save yourself. We need a Savior to save us from ourselves. And we already begin to see that in Genesis. Moving on to our New Testament reading of the day, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 17. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him to a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Now, why would they think that? This is me talking. Verse 3, they would think that because who can forgive sins? Only God can. So here's Jesus claiming to be God. Some people will tell you, you know, if you read the New Testament, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, right here, he's claiming to be God. And even the teachers of his own day know that. That's why they call it blasphemy. And it's ultimately what Jesus would be killed for. Verse 4, one of the things. Verse 4, Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. My interjection here, Jesus just dropped the mic, saying, Yeah, I can forgive sins, and I can also watch this man uh, stand up and walk away. So to prove that I can forgive sins, I'm going to make him stand up and walk, and he makes the paralyzed man stand up and walk. Verse 7, And the man jumped up and went home. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. Verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Friends, let that be a reminder to us. Jesus came not for those who think they have it all figured out, but those who know they need him. And the people who were religious in Jesus' day had forgotten this. And Jesus reminds them of a scripture that says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In other words, there are people who are really good at the ritual side of it. They know the Bible verses. They're doing everything, quote-unquote, by the book. And those are not the people that Jesus hangs out with or the people that Jesus um, is calling his children he calls those who actually trust in him and know they need his grace, know that 
uh, if it weren't for him. And the rituals aren't bad things, but the rituals only should lead them to Jesus because we need to know that we need his grace um, no less now than we did the day we first believed. That's who Jesus came for. Verse 14. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So in other words, Jesus is saying, You fast when you're sad. My disciples aren't sad because they're literally walking with God. So there's no reason to fast. But one day when I'm taken away, they will then begin to fast again. Verse 16, Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in the new wineskins so that both are preserved. Moving on to our Proverbs reading of the day, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. Put what's first first with your finances. Now, it's basically the principle we just read there in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Great reminder for all of us. Moving on to Psalm of the day, we're going to read Psalm chapter 10, just verses 16 through 18 today. The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. Yes, Lord, you are the king. Let us remember and praise you for that. Verse 17, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed, so mere people can no longer terrify them. Yes, Lord, we await the day in which you ultimately bring justice to those who cannot defend themselves. And Lord, we know that as New Testament followers of Jesus, we are a part of that restoration process. We are part of the justice you're bringing, so help us stand up for those who are defenseless as you stand up for us, Lord being defenseless ourselves in front of you because we know that you did not come for the well, you came for the sick, and we are sick. We are sinners, and we need your grace. Let us never forget that. Let us always run back to that grace over and over and over in complete dependence upon you. Lord, I pray for those today who are hurting or heartbroken. I pray that they would feel your comfort and that you would be near to them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, that does it for today's reading. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can do so at myascent.churchcenter.com. My name is Blake Farley, and I hope to see you back here tomorrow for day number 13 of the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast.